raise the bar on health and live with maximum vitality. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Andrea is a Bali-based naturopath redefining health as living with maximum vitality. Tune in for practical life advice and start aligning with what your body wants. Our bodies are trying to talk to us. Let's listen. Have any of you been to the Monday Night Talks before? No. no? Awesome. So we have almost... Oh, you didn't raise your hand in saying you've been here. Monday. You haven't? No. I didn't realize you'd never been to my talks before. Well, welcome. Very good. Okay. Uh, so we get together every week to start to discuss this topic of health. Right, this concept of health, what is it, um, perhaps how can we maximize it in our life, right? And um, I love this part of my job, it's like the favorite, my favorite part of my job because it's the time where I simply just get to share for free, right? This is a free class. And the only intention that I really have is to start the wheels of critical thinking, critical inquiry in your mind so that we can really start to engage with this concept of health and start to understand what it means and how we can maximize it in our lives. Welcome. Yeah? Welcome. <laughs> and so, as other people come in, we might not have a circle anymore. That's totally fine. Uh, if I can't see you, I'll sit up on the chair so I can have a bird's eye view. But my name is Andrea, and I'm the G-Talks director here at the Yoga Barn. And I facilitate different kinds of programs, mostly fasting programs that we have. We have a three-day program and a seven-day program. And all of those are aimed at trying to reintroduce people to an inner source of vitality that most of us in the modern world today have forgotten about or disconnected from. And so in talking about vitality, fasting is one of the best ways to rediscover it, right? Actually, vitality is why we're all here at a yoga studio. It's definitely why we're here on Earth, right? Your pulse is your vitality. In a yoga studio, what we're doing is opening up the body, right, physically through yoga asana. Our main goal is actually to open up the body so that everything inside of it flows unencumbered. And that circulation, right, be it of the fluids like the blood and the lymph, or be it of chi, ki, prana, all the different names for this vital life force energy. Right? Opening up the body so that can flow more freely. And this might seem really super esoteric, right? but when you're on day 27 of a fast and you feel like you could run a marathon, you start to realize that actually there is this very deep-seated source of energy inside of our human bodies right? that we can tap into whenever we want. Unfortunately, this old adage of food is fuel, right? it has some... Hint, a hint of truth, but it tends to mislead us more than do us good, right? Because we always have this essence of need or this desire, this want, this unfulfilled feeling, right? Where we reach for something to eat. When the truth of the matter is that when we then eat, we're actually requiring the body to give up a lot of energy in order to digest. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we're going to revisit that. That's just your little taster, your intro into the theme of what we'll be talking about this evening. But uh, every lecture I give, I always like to start by uh, exposing my own biases because I strongly believe that anyone who can sit here and talk for 
40 minutes to an hour, and that's how long we'll be here, right? I'll talk for about 45 minutes or so, and then I'll open it up to questions. But anyone who can do that definitely has some opinions, right? Some biases. So I, I prefer to kind of expose mine to you up front so that you know where I'm coming from and no cards are hidden here, all right? So my biases, first and foremost, are very much rooted in natural medicine, in something called natural hygiene. Natural hygiene is the precursor to the modern movement of naturopathy. Have you heard of naturopathy? Yeah, I'm finishing up my doctorate in naturopathy now. At the end of the month, I'll be, you can call me doctor. No, I'm just kidding, you don't have to do that. But it's exciting, right, after several years of study. And natural medicine is a return to the, the elements. It's a return to nature. It's a return to living with nature instead of on top of nature, right? Living in cities today, living in our houses, living in air conditioning, living with everything antibiotically sterilized. We see that definitely we're no longer living with nature. And so the, the essence of returning to living with nature doesn't mean going out and living in a treehouse in a jungle, don't get me wrong, right? But maybe if you have a stomach ache, you can use some mud and herbs and put a pack on your stomach to relieve it. Do you see that? It's coming a little bit closer to nature and the healing force. It also includes following the natural laws, which when we break, we get sick. And the fundamental inherent principle of naturopathy, of natural medicine, of coming back in alignment with nature is the understanding that the human body has the full capability to heal itself. The human body has not only the full capacity and capability to heal itself, but also the full desire. And it is always trying to heal itself in every single moment. And so this is another concept that we can revisit as we go along. But other biases are that I have a Master's of Science in Ethnobotany. Ethnobotany is the study of the relationship between people and plants. My specialty is the study of the relationship between people and food plants, gastroethnobotany. Right? And so looking at that, that might come into play, although tonight we're going to be talking about lack of food, fasting. Right? So we'll see how that goes. From there... Uh, I'm also the director of colonics here, and I'm a career colon hygienist, colon hydrotherapist, which means that I pay a lot of attention to the waste coming out and making sure that there is waste coming out, right? It's, it's far too often in the world of today, in the natural health and healing world, that we find that people are so overly concerned with the input, right? Oh, I eat healthy. Oh, I make sure maybe I exercise. That's an input, right? I make sure to drink things. I have green juice. Even when you're fasting, right? You're overly concerned, oh, I have my coconuts and my green juice and my water. It's all about the input. When indeed there is no such thing as detoxification unless we can actually see the toxin coming out. Detox, right? It has to go somewhere. And so you definitely want to see something coming out. Does that make sense? So awakening to the wisdom of the colon is, is really nice and important. Good. Welcome, Felipe. So I think people will still start to draw in. Make sure I can still see you, because I get really antsy when someone's hiding behind a pole. <laughs> I can't see them when, when we're talking. Awesome. So I think I covered all my biases. From there, we'll dive straight on deep into the topic of tonight, which will be fasting. And um, maybe two of you were at the lecture last week. I talked about fasting. I'm going to try to talk about it in a different way tonight. And in, in this different way, I'm actually going to hopefully open this book 
which is something I haven't done before, um, quote someone else in my lectures, but I'm really excited to because this book, The Mucus Mucusless Healing Diet System by Arnold Erhut, is one of the foundation texts. And um, through the work that Arnold did in the early 1900s, right, many fasts on his own as well as tested scientifically in a laboratory, right, we discovered the limits of the human body. Right? And, and he says in here even that he didn't find the limits of the human body. But what we know from natural hygiene, which he's one of the birthing fathers of natural hygiene, it was a movement that swept throughout Europe and then came to the United States in the early 1900s. Right? This is stuff that was really normal, living with nature, fasting, fasting for healing, right? all throughout the early 1900s. Of course, in the 1930s, does anyone know what happened? Okay, good. And so we needed, after the Great Depression, a way to boost the economy, right? Well, one of the best ways to do so was the pharmaceutical industry. And with the advent of pharmaceuticals in the 1930s, a lot of this natural healing stuff that didn't require any pills or payments, right? Fasting costs nothing. Right? It was all swept under the rug. Colon hygiene along with it. Does that make sense? And so in the, how many years? 80 years since then, 85 years since then, how has our health gone? Has it flourished? Are we thriving? No, we're staggering. We are sicker today as a human species than we've ever been in our 3.5 million years of existence. Right? In the United States today, the people being born now are the first generation of children who may not live longer than their parents. Okay. One in five youth in the United States and where the US goes, the whole world follows, has diabetes, right? Obesity is now at 40 to 50% of the entire population. Right? These, are, these are updated numbers, right? We're, we're no longer in the year 2000, we're in the year 2015. Right? A lot's happened in the last 15 years and it's not getting any better. And so my lecture tonight is not meant to be a dim one, right, to leave you all depressed, right, but actually to show you that through changes in lifestyle and changes in diet, that there is hope. Right? Another one of my biases, we could say, is that I'm a student of Dr. Colin T. Campbell. Have you heard of Colin? Now he's the author of the China study. It's the longest nutritional study ever done in the history of humanity, more than 40 years, comparing the diet, lifestyle, and disease between rural Chinese people and the standard American. All right, now, I think you can probably guess the results of the findings, yeah? Very clearly, the China study found that there is an inherent, intricate, tightly woven relationship between diet and the presence or absence of disease. And what was found, the, the underlining thesis of the China study is that the five most prevalent maladies of today, heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune diseases, all the different classes of them, obesity, as well as cancer, are all completely preventable as well as possible and reversible through diet and lifestyle changes alone. And this is stuff we knew in the 1900s. Right? But as I told you, it was swept under the rug. 
Right? And so in bringing that back, what that diet and lifestyle change looks like is probably what most of your diet and lifestyles look like. And that's the reason why you're healthy being. Somehow you made it to Bali at a yoga center, right? Where you're in a lecture about health, right? Let's just say you guys aren't the average. You're a bit above average, yeah? But in that, the diet looks like one that's very, very plant-based, eating a ton of phytonutrients, right? Large consumption of fruits and vegetables, basing the diet off of fruits and vegetables, right? The colorful stuff, the stuff that hydrates us, the stuff that flushes out our body and makes us poop, right? That's the good stuff. Eating a lot of it. And the other part of it, of course, in lifestyle, is having an active lifestyle with lots of dynamic movement where you're going up and down, front to back. It doesn't have to be strength training. It's a movement-based lifestyle. And moreover, hydration plays a key role. Happiness, doing happy things, surrounding yourself with happy-inducing people. This is a key role in the lifestyle. Not so much stress and a lot more peace. Yeah? That's your formula for ultimate disease prevention, reversal, and pausing, stopping the disease in the tracks. And so what Arnold Airhead said is that that kind of lifestyle, what we would call like a naturopathy-based lifestyle, it could take about 10 years to fully heal. Welcome, right? What Arnold Airhead is saying is that when we use fasting, that 10 years, can go down to maybe 10 months, maybe 10 weeks, right? And that's when miracles start to happen, right? Arnold Airhead himself is indeed a miracle, okay? He was declared uncurable, right? He saw, I think, 42 doctors. They told him that he only had a certain amount of time to live and that he had three, three solid diseases that could never be cured, right? Thousands of dollars later, he was driven to try out fasting, and that's what started his healing journey. Right? Since then, Arnold Airhead has fasted for, or had fasted, for many rounds of time. Right? His longest observed fast on water alone, and this is observed, meaning he was locked in a room. Uh, hopefully he got to go outside, but like, people were really watching him the whole time, was 49 days on water alone. Yeah? And so this isn't stuff that you were taught in school. Right? That the human body can actually thrive and survive without food. Right? And 40 to even 60 days on water alone is not only incredibly possible, but very much in reach. But this practice of fasting is something that we've totally forgotten about in the modern world. Whereas in, if we look back to evolution, we find that the human body is made to go through cycles of feast and famine and feast and famine, right? That's how we evolved to survive. Of course, that's embedded within our DNA, right? But what do we have today? All feast. All feast. The famine never comes, right? Not as long as you have a grocery store and power to power those refrigerators, right? And money in your back pocket. And so when we look at the human being of today, we can think of our body as a machine, because that's what it is. Right? And some of you might say, oh no, my body's a temple, it's sacred. Okay, it can be a sacred machine, right? But the fact of the matter is, and this is what Arnold Erhard tells us, is that the body must be a well-oiled machine. And when we do not take care of this machine, 
it breaks down, yeah? And the number one requirement of any machine, whether it's your cell phone or something that makes water bottles, is that the machine needs to be switched off, right? And even when we sleep today, we have a very short window of time where there's actually nothing in the stomach. Because then we wake up first thing in the morning and what do we do? Eat breakfast. You see that? And so even though overnight is supposed to be a fast, because we eat three meals a day and we eat so much, right? And moreover, we eat foods that are quite difficult for our body to digest, we find that we almost have no time of fasting during our living, breathing human life. Does that make sense? Yeah? Just like when you guys work, this is the analogy I love to give because somehow it brings it home. When you work, do any of you have a nine to five job? All right, good. I'm glad there's some people this week who have a nine to five job. You don't find them quite easily in Bali. But in general, right, your nine to five job, imagine for 365 days of the year, you were asked to show up at work every single day. And as you were there, you were having to work every single day. No vacation time, no weekends. At the end of the year, how would you be? Come on, be honest. Run down, Run down exhausted, cranky, not working as well as you could be. Yeah, that's it, right? That is your digestive system. Anyone? Gas, bloating, stomach upset, acid reflux, constipation, maybe diarrhea, maybe back and forth. Anyone? Raise your hand if you've ever had one of those symptoms. Oh, I love you. Yes, that's it, right? That's the machine talking to you, right? But how ready are we to listen to what it's saying? You see that? And so the, the, the truth of the matter is that our digestive system takes a whole lot of energy. Yeah, in fact, it can take up to 70% of all available energy. Right there, at the digestive system. That's reflected by blood flow, the amount of blood flowing to the digestive tract. All right? And guess what? That energy is coming from other parts of your being, other parts of your body. Perhaps you've ever felt some time after you've eaten maybe a really heavy meal, like this, really tired, worn out, exhausted. Yeah, I love the example of the Spanish. They have an institution. It's called siesta. After lunch, it's written in their daily schedule. Everyone goes home and takes a three-hour nap. Right? If that's not an acknowledgement of this flow, this diversion of energy to and from the digestive tract, then what is? Right? And I know you guys have felt this, right? If you're born in North America like me, after the Thanksgiving meal, right? We blame it on tryptophan and the turkey, but God, everyone's so tired because of the abomination of large quantity of food that we've just eaten. And when we require a digestive tract to try to break that apart, right? It doesn't end very well unless it's a good dream that you're having in your sleep. You see that? And so what we do by fasting, and we could define fasting, if you will, as stopping the intake of solid fibrous matter, right? which means we're only on liquids. And there are different kinds of fasts. There are water fasts, like Eric talks about. There are green juice fasts, the kind that we practice here at the yoga barn. Right? And there are other kinds of fasts. But in general, you want to have fresh, whole liquids. Right? That's what a fast is. So coconut water, of course, that could be included on your fast. Right? Bottled, store-bought juice. Yes or no? 
Good. All right. I'm glad that you guys are way ahead of where I was 15 years ago. Right? We learn these things slowly. Okay? So I'm glad I just saved you a few years in time. Right? Okay? In fasting, when we do that, we stop taking in solid fibrous matter. All of a sudden, the digestive tract, which normally hogs this energy, is able to slowly slow down and over a certain period of time, shut off, shut down, go to sleep. And that's usually about three days that that takes. And when that happens, all of the energy that you would normally send to digestion, again, up to 70% of your available energy, it's rerouted, redirected to healing and cleansing at a cellular level, right? Taking any mucus buildup in the body, right? Any toxicity, any foci of toxic element and fleshing it out through the blood. It can then either be exhaled, right, or brought to the colon for elimination, right? Now you see why colon hydrotherapy is so important. You see that? And then we're starting to talk about health. Because when we allow this beautiful machine a chance to oil itself, clean itself out, right, reboot, restart, right, that's when we start to experience vitality. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay, so I'm gonna read an excerpt. If you could save all questions till the end, I promise I'll give you, I'll give you a chance at the end. I'll watch the clock. All right, I'm gonna read an excerpt. This, again, this is the first time in a year and a half that I've read during this class, so please embrace me in this. And it's also really exciting for me because in this job sometimes I feel like I have to speak under the, the words or the the premise of science, which I am a scientist, right, by nature of my master's in science or my doctorate, right, but the stuff like this from the 1900s, it's not too overly scientific, right, it has to do more with logic and understanding, and they say, you know what, a scientist can argue their way out of anything, right, by using chemical formulas and molecules, right, and they sound like they're talking about something, but if they can't make you understand, you layman, right, then who knows actually if what they're saying has any real to it, all right? So, okay, where shall I start? Lesson one, general introductory principles. Every disease, no matter what name it is known by medical science, is a disease of constipation, a clogging up of the entire pipe system of the human body. Any special symptom is therefore merely an extraordinary local constipation by more accumulated mucus at this particular place. Special accumulation points are the tongue, the stomach, and particularly the entire digestive tract. This last one is the real and deeper cause of bowel constipation. The average person has as much as 10 pounds of uneliminated feces in the bowels continuously, poisoning the bloodstream in the entire system. Think of it. Every sick person has a more or less mucus-clogged system. Such mucus being derived from undigested and uneliminated unnatural food substances accumulated from childhood onwards. Details regarding this fact may be learned by reading my Rational Fasting and Diet Regeneration. You can read that one later. All right, so this compensation action, so-called, is a cure against every kind of disease. What, what Arnold Ayerhead prescribes is a mucusless diet healing system. He says that any food that you're taking in your body that you notice some kind of mucus forming after taking, right? that that's denoting that that food or that element that you've taken in 
is producing illness in the body rather than wellness. And just from my own perspective to tell you what mucus is, it's the body's defense shield. Just like a knight in shining armor with a shield protecting himself. Well, the body's sensitive absorbing mucus membranes create a shield of mucus in order to really protect themselves from whatever it is that you've chosen to put in. All right, so if you take nothing else away from you after this hour and this class, I want you to start to notice in your own body, perhaps in your own throat, in your own nasal passages, in your own stool when you wipe your bum, when do you see mucus? What have you eaten? Maybe what have you drunk? What have you done? Because your body's trying to tell you something through the formation of that mucus, okay? All right, so the mucusless diet consists of all kinds of raw and cooked fruits, starchless vegetables, and cooked raw, mostly green leaf vegetables. So this goes on about the, the mucusless diet. I'll skip over this. But however, to learn how to apply the system, to understand how and why it works, it's necessary to free your mind from medical errors partially taken over by naturopathy. And so Arnold says that he wants to teach a new physiology, free from medical errors, a new method of diagnosis, and a correction of the fundamental errors of metabolism, right? Metabolism is the thought that our body is eating itself and digesting itself. Whereas when you look at someone lean and you take them on a fast for 60 days, and they're stronger than they've ever been, right? We can start to say, wait a minute, there's something that we don't understand about metabolism, or perhaps our understanding of metabolism that we've received from Western science isn't the end-all be-all, but you can read that later on. All right, so what vitality really is, and this is the work I do. This is the part of my introduction that I didn't say, so I'll say it now, right? My goal by these sessions, my goal in the work that I do with clients and in the public is to help people raise the bar on health, right? Because it's been far too long that we've defined health as absence of disease, right? You're not sick, so you're healthy. Wait a minute. Does that make sense? You guys sitting up here next to me, you're like my, you're like my little friends that I'm conversing with. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't make sense. Thank you. Yeah? It doesn't. There is more to life, and I'm here to share that with you if no one's ever told you that before. There is more to life, there is more to health than simply just not being sick. All right? And what that more looks like, I like to compare it to like a three-year-old or a six-year-old child when they wake up in the morning. Have you ever had a child or been around one? They wake up in the morning and they come and say, Mommy, Daddy, let's play. Like, let's live life. Right? This is the kid. They're here. They're fully in touch with that inner source of vitality. Their prana is flowing, right? Because it hasn't been so long that they've encumbered it and clogged it with mucus and held it down through the mouth, right? But as we age, we have this premise of aging, right? But when we start to live vitality, we can start to live that me, at my age right now, I can tell you I am so much more vital than I was 15 years ago. And that has nothing to do with numbers. That has everything to do with lifestyle. You see that? And so when we get older, we can actually get younger as we find a way to better take care of our system. All right, so Arhat says, what is vitality? To medical science, the human body is still a mystery, especially in diseased condition. Every new disease discovered by doctors is a new mystery for them. There are no words to properly express how far from the truth they actually are. Naturopathy uses the word vitality continuously, 
Yet neither medical scientists nor naturopaths even say what vitality is. Right? And so what he's saying, Arnold Harahead is saying, is that you have to fast to actually discover your inner vitality. Yeah, I wish Valeria was here. There's someone who I've been guiding through a fast for the past week, and uh, she came today, she had broken her fast, and she came back and I got to see her again. And she said to me, why do we eat? I felt so much better when I was fasting. Right? And I get that all the time. At the end of the seven-day detox retreat, people say to me, I never want to eat again. Right? That means that they've tapped into that inner source of vitality. When I feel on day 17, literally, like I could run a marathon, right? by all means, I'm starting to understand what vitality is. I have raised the bar on health. And once you do that in your own personal life, you start to interpret every single message from your body. Right? If it's a headache, or if it's general fatigue, if it's bad breath, or odor out of your armpits, most of those are signs from your body that the machine has been turned on too long and too actively. Right? And it wants a break. It wants a cleansing. And whether that's through fasting, or whether that's through eating fruit only in order to literally wash out and scrub your intestines for three days, right? No matter what it is, it's a kind of break. And that's what's important. All right? So. Let's see. Disease. What is disease to Erhat? He says, disease is an effort of the body to eliminate waste, mucus, and toxemias. And this system assists nature in the most perfect and natural way. Not the disease, but the body is to be healed. It must be cleansed, freed from waste and foreign matter, from mucus and toxemia accumulated since childhood. You cannot buy health in a bottle. You cannot heal your body, that is, Cleanse your system in a few days. You must make compensation for the wrong you have done to your body during your entire life. Right? And so what do I run here? I run three-day fasting programs. Right? And he's clearly saying that's not enough. And I do say that to my clients, that that's not enough. But the fact of the matter is that we are so overly fearful today about fasting. And I call the three-day cleanse program, I say it all the time. It's the first little toe testing out the water, you know? in the world of fasting. Because once someone gets through three days, I can't tell you how many clients come to me and say, I never thought I could do it, right? We have this doubt because this practice, which is so inherent to our humanness, we've completely disconnected from, right? So reawakening that. All right, so my system is not a cure or a remedy. It is a regeneration, a thorough house cleaning the acquisition of such clean and perfect health as you never knew before. Right. Okay, in summa, he says, to summarize, the human mechanism is an elastic pipe system. The diet of civilization is never entirely digested and the resultant waste is never eliminated. This entire pipe system is slowly constipated, especially at the place of the symptom and the digestive tract. This is the foundation of every disease. To loosen this waste, eliminate it intelligently and thoroughly, and to control this elimination can only be done perfectly by the mucusless diet healing system. That was a pretty good advertisement, wasn't it? It was like my way or the highway. 
right? But the thing is, what other people say, and what it says later in this book, is that it's not his way, right? In fact, he spends a lot of time talking in this book about Jesus, right? And what Jesus said about fasting. Have you heard of Lent? Right? Lent didn't originally mean give up chocolate for 40 days. <laughs> you better bet Lent was actually a true fast. Right? Look to any civilization throughout human time, any religion, which is civilization in practice. Right? Look worldwide. You'll find fasting is not only yearly, but perhaps even quarterly or even monthly. It's a practice that's undergone. Yeah? Amazing. Okay. Do you guys like this? Should I put the book down? You like it? No? They're like, no, don't do the book. Don't do the book. All right. Maybe we'll come back to the book at the end. Okay? But what I'm here to tell you tonight is that I want you to really go home. I'm going to give homework. I never give homework on these things unless it's talking to someone about poop or pooping. Right? Which, this is a really good time for me to say what I try to say every single lecture. How many times a human... Wait, how many times in a day should a human body be eliminating its waste, a la defecating? Who's been here before? Every time after every meal. Once per meal, and you haven't even been here, very good, per day. That should also be news to most of you. We're supposed to be pooping, if you eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three times a day. Where are my proud three poopers? Katie Michael, show me those hands. All right, good. I'm glad the detox intern and the colon hydrotherapists in the room are pooping three times a day. There isn't any coincidence there. Anyone else? Really? No one else? All right, one. Yes. He's going to do a fist pump. Very good. Okay, so very, that's, that's your first highway lane. If we're going to talk about vitality, if we're going to talk about raising the bar on health, there's the road in front of you. Yeah, you see that? I'm going to give you a one-minute summary of how to get there. In general, think about it. Something comes in, something should come out. Right? Just like babies, just like dogs, just like a machine. You see that? All right? And if you're not pooping three times a day, I can give you a really simple three-step formula right, to start to get there. Step one is to hydrate. Most humans are walking around today dehydrated. Imagine that rubber tubing that Airhead described. Well, imagine there's a rock inside and you're trying to push it through. You're welcome to come on in. <laughs> He's like, now I'm going to leave. All right. So you push the rock through the tube. It's really hard. Hard to move. Pour a bunch of water inside. What happens? This isn't wine, by the way. It's water. <laughs> In case you were making judgments of me. Yeah? Pour, pour water through the tube and the rock slides out. All right. Put two and two together. That tube is your large intestine. That rock is your poop, although hopefully your poop isn't as hard as a rock. All right. So number one way to move your bowels more hydrate. And the human body will use and lose about three liters of water a day. That means that three liters is the minimum that you should be drinking to replenish that. Yeah? All right. And water is best drunk on an empty stomach. Second step on how to poop more. Simply to squat. The biomechanical position in which we are meant to be defecating looks a lot like this. Yeah? In our large intestine, at the end, we have the rectal canal. There's a muscle that wraps around it. It's called the puba rectalis muscle. This muscle itself is tight when we're seated in a chair or when we're standing up. Thank God our body doesn't want us to poop in our pants, right? As soon as we bring our knees up toward the shoulders in this squat-like position, that passageway opens. The muscle relaxes, loosens, allowing for a clear passageway and efficient, effective defecation. 
All right, there's a lot more going on through the muscular system, but we can talk about that later. Right? This is simply the way in which we're meant to be pooping. As soon as the white porcelain throne, a la toilet, was brought about, what do we have? Tons of other bowel diseases, colitis, Crohn's disease, hemorrhoids, name them, pelvic floor disorders. Right? And so raising up the feet is a really easy way to not get rid of your white porcelain throne. Right? Pull over a rubbish bin. I'm a big fan of hopping up on the toilet bowl. Right? Put up the seat, especially if you're in a public bathroom, even if you're wearing shoes. No coincidence, the part of your foot that will be on the toilet bowl, guess what? That's the large intestine in reflexology. Okay? Third way on how to poop more. You ready? Give yourself time. Give yourself time. Make time. Put it in your schedule. My clients who have a crazy busy working day, right? Nine to five. Go, go, go. Stress, stress, stress. I actually ask them to put on their calendar 10 minutes of time where three times a day they're going to the toilet, squatting there, and simply getting their mind off of things. I'm a big fan, right? You let the jail guard go on break and the prisoners escape. See that? And so you can sit there with your phone, go through Facebook, read a book, whatever you want. Get your mind off of things. As soon as the mind lets go, the body knows exactly what to do, right? No more of that arguing, am I gonna poop? I'm not gonna poop. Do I have time to poop? Oh my God, there's someone in the stall next to me. I can't poop. Yes, I know that that sounds familiar to more of you than you're letting on, okay? So enough on pooping, right? Back to fasting. Those are your three surefire ways on how to poop more. Try them out. You're welcome to write me. Let me know how it goes, okay? When we talk about really taking waste out of the system, it does require not putting waste in, okay? So let's think of a machine. Anyone have a good example of a machine? I'm drumming up a new analogy. A car. All right. Juicer. That's a good one. Oh, okay. We're going to choose the juicer. Is that okay? It's easier to see. You know, it's just smaller. All right. So do you guys, have you seen a juicer? We can go down to the kitchen for a demo if you want. But in a juicer, what are you doing? You're putting in some kind of fruit, vegetable, whatever it is that you're juicing, it's coming out and it's extracting the liquid away from the fiber, right? This is great, okay? Well, a juicer's a perfect example because guess what? When we're trying to put things in, we should expect things to come out. When we put things in and nothing comes out, what happens? The juicer doesn't work as well, right? Okay, so maybe even right before it breaks, we know it's just diseased. You know, it's sick, it's not working so well. When it breaks, we'll say it's diseased, okay? So it's just not working so well. It's not a good example of health. But then, we know it's not working so well and we continue to put things in it, right? And we keep shoving things inside of it. What happens? Then it definitely breaks, yeah? No question, no question. So the moment there is a clogging, what do we have to do as responsible users of juicing machines? We have to stop a little bit. We have to allow it to work on its own. If you guys know cold press juicers, right? Those are the centrifugal force ones that are using pressure, right? And a screwing kind of inner mechanism in order to squeeze out the juice. We have to let it work on its own without putting anything else in. I love this example. Thank you, Edwin. Yeah? What did we just make an analogy for? Fasting. You see that? We have to allow it to work on its own without putting anything else in. And then by all means, yes, we do have to turn the juicer off 
for a certain period of time, make sure that it can stand up on its own two juicer feet <laughs> and be okay to work the next day. Yeah? And so by all means, the moment when something's not working and we force something in, not a good idea. All right? So I think, yeah, it's about time for me to stop talking. So I'll end with just some words of wisdom about fasting and, and when to fast, things like that. Normally in this lecture, I give how to fast, but you'll have to come back another week for that, that type of fasting lecture. When we talk about when is a good time to fast, the number one time is when the juicer's clogged or backed up or broken, right? And that brokenness is shown by lack of health, lack of vitality. And so whether that is a diagnosed disease, right? Or whether that is just kind of feeling sluggish and not feeling yourself. That's a fantastic time to fast. To eat when you're sick is to feed the sickness. Plutarch, a great Greek physician and philosopher. To eat when you're sick is to feed the illness. Yeah, and this is counterintuitive to what most of you have been taught your entire life. Right? You're sick, so I, I should get you some soup. Right? Well, there's some, there's some good thinking there because soup is what? It's a liquid food. It's easy to digest. So we have some of it, but there's still that human scare tactic, root chakra stuff, where it's like you need something. Right? Whereas if we remember the inherent baseline of natural medicine, that the body will always want to heal itself, all we need to give it is time and space to do so. And that's what a fast is. So times to fast, number one, when you're sick. And that's any kind of illness, especially I had, in one of my classes this morning, poor little girl with Bali belly, she came up, she's like, I've had Bali belly all weekend. I, I might be running out of your class and running in, right? And I have people who come to these lectures and say, I've had Bali belly. Do you know what Bali belly is? <coughs> Diarrhea, right? They say, I've had it for two weeks. I say, oh my God, poor you. Guess what? It takes about 12 hours of fasting, maybe 18 hours of fasting for it to stop. When we look at diarrhea or vomiting, these are signals from our body that our body's trying to get rid of something. It's spitting something out. If you keep putting something in when it's trying to spit something out, it's just gonna continue to spit it out. You see that? You have to switch off the machine. Allow it to finish processing whatever it was processing. The body is always wanting to heal itself. And the vomiting and the diarrhea are symptomatic of that. Right? Your body knew well enough to eject whatever it was that it didn't want. Does that make sense? So times when to fast, number one, when you're sick. Number two, every so often, as much as you can, right? Not as much as you can, because you guys might take that overboard. People tend to misinterpret what I say. <laughs> yeah, but every so often, whether that's with the lunar cycle, whether that's with the solar cycle, whether that's seasonally, right? Whether that's a few times a year or once every year, Right? Every so often. Right? Another time, when to fast. And that means make it part of your lifestyle. And this is something, fasting is normally something that you have to practice first. I like to liken fasting like building a muscle. You know, at first that five kilo weight felt really, really heavy. And then once you've lifted it a few more times, right, you come back the next day and it's not so heavy, right? And you can lift stronger and stronger weights. Well, that's like fasting. You do a one day fast. And you say, oh my God, I did it. I never thought I could do that. Well, you do it a few more times. By then you're like, oh yeah, that's easy. Right? So you do a two-day fast. Do a two-day fast a few times. Amaze yourself. 
Each time it will be easier, I promise. Then do a three-day fast, maybe a four-day fast, up to even a five-day fast. Right? After that, if you don't have much experience, you're going to want some professional guidance. You can call me up, right? And we'll see. I'll send you somewhere close to your place. You don't have to come back to Bali. If you want to come back to Bali, come back to Bali. Right? And then so on and so forth. And we start to build the muscle like that. And what that really is is confidence and belief in yourself. Right? That is perhaps one of the most empowering things about our detox retreat here. We have retreat weeks where we have seven days full on group setting, right? everyone all together, fasting all day long, and it's a lot better when you do it with other people. That's a little hint for your muscle building, right? And by the end of the week, they leave there feeling like superheroes. Right? I call fasting this newfound superpower that you, you discover that you can do. You can be something that you never were told that you could do or be before. And that's powerful, right? That's empowering, and that's huge, right? So when to fast, when you're sick, every so often. Third one is international airplane journeys, and this might sound like, oh my god, I could never do that. But guess what, at high altitude in a pressurized, sealed, dehumidified cabin, right? Your entire digestive system nearly shuts down because it is so epically confused as to what's going on. The airplane is the most unnatural environment that the human body could ever dream of being in. And being in an airplane for maybe, I don't know, 12, 14, 16 hours, right? not only is it incredibly dehydrating, which has a huge effect on the digestive system, but digestion is pretty much like a broken juicer when we're on an airplane. Yeah, so no use in putting something in. Does that make sense? And so that doesn't mean necessarily, for those of you who don't have any experience with fasting and you probably have your flight home in two days from now and you're like, oh my god, what am I going to do? That doesn't mean that. That means for sure don't eat airplane food. You don't want to get anywhere near that stuff that was made six months before. Right? Put in a deep freezer and then heat it once. Right? Your taste buds also completely deaden when you're at altitude. And so airplane food is filled with like cytotoxins, things you know as like MSG. Right? right? All of these other things that's in airplane food that you really don't want to get anywhere near. But moreover... Order a fruit plate, right? Bring fruit with you. Even if it's dried fruit, soak it in water and rehydrate it and then eat it, right? Fruit is the fastest digesting food. If you want to learn more about the chemistry of digestion, come back to this room one week from today. I'm giving my ever popular digestive system lecture on the chemistry of digestion and it's entitled Food Combining. So lots to be learned next week. That was a good little plug for me, right? Right, but it's also for you guys too. That's the most popular lecture that I give, and I give it special when the detoxes are here. So that's next week. Um, and then the fourth time, when to fast. Right? So so far we have when you're sick, every so often, airplane journeys. Fourth time, when to fast is when you're stressed. And this doesn't mean like, oh my god, I'm stressed. I have final exams coming up. I'm going to go in on a starvation crisis. What this means is that if you are stressed, maybe you just got that phone call and your stomach dropped to the pit. Right? And you feel that like, ugh. <gasps> have you felt that way before? It's part of our human experience. I think you all have. I definitely have. Right? When you feel like that, your nervous system is not on the setting for digestion. Yeah? And so that's a really good time not to eat. Right? That 10-minute eating at your desk, really in a hurry. Food is never going to digest well in that circumstance. And so the best thing you can do, guess what? Yoga teaches us this. Take 10 deep breaths. 
lay down with your legs up the wall. Right? Switch over the nervous system. Come into a state of relaxation and then eat. So that fourth point is not saying go on a full-fledged five-day fast. Right? It's simply saying take a break, take a few breaths, relax, and then digest. Okay? And so my intention for this lecture was to be more of an advanced fasting lecture, and I think we got halfway there. Maybe you guys can come back in two weeks and I'll give you a level up and we'll talk more about advancement and then longer fasts. But in general, yes, disease that was aforementionedly previously called incurable, especially by Western medicine, is by all means found to be curable through long fasts. All throughout Europe in the early 1900s, we had these centers called sanatoriums. Right, where people would go and fast for long periods of time. Very few of them are still in existence. Right? And these are places where we really start to talk about health rather than just starting to band-aid disease. So we have some few moments now for questions. Yes. Thanks for waiting. Wait, so have you ever lost four or five kilos while fasting? Well, I, I, That's a yes or no question. I was, I was sick uh, recently in Cambodia, so I couldn't uh, eat. Yeah, so you were sick and you felt weak. Those two things come in hand. Yeah. When you're fasting, right, you might lose weight because that's accumulated waste matter that you're losing, but you don't feel weak. So it's very different. For sure, and that's, that's largely more to do with your nervous system and your digestive system. So you're, you're talking about times when you're feeling weak and losing weight, yes. and times when you're stressed and you're sick. All of that goes in one kind of bundle, right? When we're talking about fasting, we're not stressed and sick, right? We're actually healthy and vibrant. It's, it's a whole different picture. And so note, when you guys are thinking about these concepts, Note if these certain root chakra fear elements come up. What if? Or I always feel this way. Or poor me. Or I can't. Right? These thoughts, that's at the root chakra. And so that's the first place we go while fasting. So it's really good for you to just be a yogic witness consciousness over that to start engaging with these concepts. Excuse yeah. So normally in a fast, through a longer fast, we would find that over the first few days you might lose half a kilo a day, and then your body will start to stabilize, right? Yeah. Cool. Glad we got your, your real question that you were asking. Awesome. So this is yeah, totally. And this is exactly the idea of metabolism that Arnold Lairhead is saying is wrong, right? That actually, if you're fasting, right, and you go fasting 50 days, and after the 50th day, you actually feel amazing. For sure, all of the mass of your body will have recycled, right? A lot of it, mind you, is inflammation, especially when we're repairing muscle tissue, 
right? That big muscle, that's inflammation. That's excess blood flow to the area, right? And so inflammation is what goes away while fasting, right? Because the body doesn't need to heal like that. So, right. Right, so the body, the thing is though, after three days, the digestive system turns off. Our metabolism completely changes, right? Our body isn't hungry. And there's a lot of theories on ketosis, which are, it's the eating of, of essentially fat cells. And the body will use its own natural reserves to digest, but not in a way that's deprivation, okay. right? In a way that's, that's quite um, stabilizing, so we could say. Yeah, and so you're going you're gonna to want to look at how much of that is water weight, right? And if, if I think this, the kinds of cases that you guys are using are cases of illness where the body's actually trying to get rid of something to heal you, right? So we have to take a state of health, right? And rather than go to... And that, that's something I think really important. People associate fasting with starvation with illness. And so that whole talk on vitality, I'm trying to change that, guys. Come into that with me, Yeah. I think she was first, and then we'll come to you. And then we'll finish. Yes? Um, so if you're just on something like a water fast, yeah. without then taking in any food, so for like five days, how do you store any of the energy you're using up? Where does your energy go? The same question, in a different form. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you see this? Your energy comes from inside. It comes from that unstoppable source of prana of inner vitality. And the reason that you guys are asking this question over and over and over again might be because you don't have that much experience with it. And that's not to put you down. And that's not to say that you're amateurs or anything like that. That's actually to empower you to start looking for it. Right? And start engaging with it. And start building it. And that's what the yoga practices are all about. Okay? And so, yeah. I'm going to reflect back to my answers for those questions, for yours. Yeah? All right. And so when you do your seven-day fast, do you just do, um, do, you just do a water fast or do you do, like, green juice? Really good. I'm glad you're asking about this, and I have to highlight the importance of what I'm saying. I am, am actually, I don't recommend that people experiment with water fasting on their own unless they're really sick and maybe only doing it for one day. Okay? Water fasting in the world of today allows us to experience the highs of fasting much higher and the lows of fasting much lower. And so that's not really something that you should do in an unsupervised setting. With that said, juice fasts can very safely be done on your own for extended periods of time. And what kind of juice? Yeah, green juice. Specifically green juice you're going to want to focus on. With like water. With any kind of dark leafy green vegetable, normally you would base it in celery, cucumber. And this is the kind of stuff that you guys can easily find on YouTube or Google. There are tons of people out there who want you to follow them and their green juice cleanses and everything like that. Yeah? So start to research it. Can this be your first little, like, seed planted of curiosity? Yeah? Amazing. Okay, everyone. So, um... I'll be here for just a few minutes after to, to answer any immediate questions. Come back next week. Allow the conversation to continue. I have a Facebook page where I'm posting new studies every day and new reminders and information about health. So I would like you, if you could log on to Facebook, you can take a picture of this or take the address and, and follow the page. Any questions that you have from tonight that weren't answered, send them to me on here. This is the, the pretty prime way where you can contact me. I answer personally all the messages sent to that page. 
Um, and you can request topics for future talks and stuff like that. If you're here in Bali for a while, come back to these Monday night talks because the conversation continues. Yeah? It's actually out of print, I think. Um, most of the natural hygiene texts are available for free online on soilandhealth.org. So look it up, soilandhealth.org. Um, yeah, but you can still get it. You can still get the copies that are in print. We obviously have a copy of a copy. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and check out this stuff. Look more into this stuff. This is radical health. I don't normally get this radical in these Monday night talks. I stay a bit more scientific and mainstream. But you know what? All of this radical health stuff is finally being caught up on by science, right? We, have, we had a study about six months ago done actually on chemotherapy patients, so sick people, very, very sick people. And it was proven that in a laboratory study, within three days of a water fast, the chemotherapy patients had a completely rebooted immune system, right? White, white blood cell count dropped when they started fasting, and when they stopped fasting, it raised to a level higher than it was when they started, right? The old immune cells were recycled, and that's what happens. That's what your body's reading of waste. That's what it's metabolizing when you're fasting, is the old encumbering waste mucusy byproduct in the body. That's what it's eating up and digesting. And so this whole science of fasting is something that we're just starting to bring with modern science. And with anything I say, please don't believe me, verify me. Know that this is really, really, really something that you only believe when you experience it yourself, okay? So you're always welcome to come back to Bali. Um, I'll, I'd be happy to work with you guys personally. We have the three-day programs and the seven-day programs. We normally book out really far in advance, so next time you come back or if you're staying here for a while, make sure to make a reservation far in advance. Somehow, we still have one or two spots left for the upcoming detox week, that, and we're starting on Wednesday. And so if you feel like, you know what, this body, I'm really done with living in it how it is. I need to turn off the juicer and turn on another kind of juicer. <laughs> Come join us for the seven-day detox week, and that starts Wednesday. Um, so yeah, you guys are amazing. Thank you for, for putting up with me reading, and you can let me know. You can give me some feedback later. The last thing I have is a mailing list. I send out every month a newsletter. Incredible people, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Remember, you don't have to change anything right away. Simply become more consciously aware. Tune in next time for more interpretations of our body's signals. And don't forget to reprioritize your life around your health to live with maximum vitality.